Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports. I'm super amped up. Pat, are you ready to talk some sports? Yeah. But we have to say we want to keep that conversation going after the podcast, too. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there. We talk to everybody. Check out Parlay Points. New blogs dropping this week. The T Public Store, where it is never a bad time to go get some ODPH swag. The Directory, the Classifieds, all that and so much more. If it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, it can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always use the hashtag ODPH pod on social media. Kicking off this edition of the sports show, though, we have to recap, dare I say, a lackluster NFL draft this year. Yeah. I mean, they had some headlines, but it wasn't for the typical surprise picks. Yeah, it was wild, and there was a lot going on, but it wasn't necessarily for, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, that star player went to that team. No. This year's NFL draft had some drama, but it was a lot due to the trades that were going on that us watching at home, not live in Vegas, were taken aback by because a lot of them were very, very shocking to see. Mm-hmm. And this threw a interesting dynamic into what was really going to be a boring draft. Like, let's yeah, be honest with yeah. it. There wasn't any sizzle headlines going into this draft. The only one maybe, and I'm stretching about this, is who is Jacksonville going to take at number one. Right, because there was some question that for a while they thought everyone thought it was going to be one guy. Then in the last couple of months it was another guy, and there was back and forth. The odds in Vegas were flipping back and forth. Yeah, so that was the only real sizzle headline going into the draft because we've had years in the past where there has been a quarterback classic can't miss, and you have four quote unquote franchise guys ready to go. Well, and especially you think of the guys that like they bring into the green room mm-hmm. there at the draft. That like oh, there's been some years where there's like half a dozen to a dozen guys that you're like, I'm interested to see where they go. Because there's usually one or two guys that, like, you know they're going to go one, two, depending on which team takes who. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of them, you're like, I don't know where the hell these guys are going to end up. And it's exciting to watch and see. Yeah. I remember one year, my senior year in 2007, uh, when that draft was going on. I remember, because that was the year, uh, what was it, Reggie Bush came out. It was, mm-hmm. it was that draft class. I, there was a lot of guys in that draft class that I was interested in. So I remembered calling my parents, because I had a, a cell phone at that time, going, because I was in the middle of the New Orleans Jazz Fest, and I go, hey, and there was, I didn't know smartphones at that point, at least not that I had. And I remember calling my parents going, hey, read me the top 10 draft picks for the NFL because I'm real curious. Yeah. I've gone to the NFL draft. I went with my dad, God nice. rest his soul. Well, when Cleveland had the number one pick, it was a time to go. Oh, yeah. And him being a diehard Browns fan. Yeah. We we went, and it, trust me, it's an experience to go see live. I recommend it for any NFL fan. Sure. But I will tell you this, it is an experience. It is very interesting to be sitting in that crowd hearing the pick. There was a couple that got married during this thing. Yeah, it's not. I saw that photo. They got got engaged last year, 
And then this year they got married. It's now turned into like this big social experiment, I guess, because now there's so many teams that come in and, you know, they have their fan bases come in. Oh, there's yeah. now celebrities that do the picks for them. Yeah. It's turned into such a show that it's almost can't miss TV just to see the reactions. Because mm-hmm. especially if your franchise does very um, questionable picks. Yeah. And depending on where you are in the world, you'll hear about it and you get the real temp in the room. And for this draft, I thought that added something to it because on paper, there are great players that are going to be here. Maybe we'll see a couple Hall of Famers from this class. Maybe. But right now, as the temp is in the room, not a lot of sizzle. No. But there was some headlines. we got to break down the top 10 of the draft. We gave you our pre-picks last week. we got to see how we matched up here. So, Pad... Kick it off. Yeah, so uh, with the number one overall pick in the draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars took Trayvon Walker, the defensive end from Georgia. Yeah, no real shocker here. I mean, he rose up the draft board really late this year. Yeah. And that's something that does happen periodically throughout the NFL, that you'll have a number one pick, so to speak, for months mm-hmm. You know, after the college football season ends. And then suddenly somebody comes out of nowhere, mm-hmm. has a great combine, which they showcase their skills, and a team falls in love with them, and that boosts their stock up. It's a weird thing that goes on with the NFL, and nothing against Trayvon Walker. He's a great player in college. Yeah. But he really shot up the board because everybody had consecutively on their boards Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan being the number one pick mm-hmm. until last late last week, to be honest with you. So to see Walker come in there, I like the move for Jacksonville, but then again, it's Jacksonville. Like there was no bad pick for them to make short of taking a quarterback. Yeah, so this works out for him. It does help Josh Allen to get some maybe defensive presence built for the Jaguars. Yeah. It's a wait and see. I think there's going to be a lot asked about Walker to produce this year. Yeah. But unless he gets some help from that defense, uh... there's There's definitely a lot of anticipation. Obviously, he's the number one overall pick, like we mentioned. You know, he's also a member of the uh, national champion Georgia Bulldogs. You know, they had won a championship, and I don't remember how long, but they had that great defense. And also, let's face it, like, Jacksonville hasn't been really all that good since, like, the Byron Leftwich days Mm -hmm. when they made a couple of runs in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't really anything to write home about. You know, it's, it's a good pick for Jacksonville, like I said, short of taking another quarterback. There was no wrong pick for them to make. I think the only one that would have made sense is if there was a stud like a Justin Jefferson, you know, or the dude from uh, Philly that they drafted uh, from Alabama last year. Mm. I'm blanking on the name. Yeah. There's... You know, if there was a star stud wide, like a once in a generation wide receiver out of him, like, yo, go for it. Yeah. No, no fault, but there wasn't. So defense made all the sense in the world. No, I fully agree with you there. So it's a smart move for them. No arguments about that. And we'll have no. to wait to see how it pans out. But next up. Uh, With the number two overall pick, the Detroit Lions took Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, the defensive end. Love this pick. Love this pick for Detroit. I know our guy Casey from the Nerdy Photographer Podcast. Shout out to him. He's got to be ecstatic about this as well. Oh, yeah. This is a smart move for a Detroit team that, let's face it. They need everything in the kitchen sink. They do have some talent on both sides of the ball. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it elite talent? No. Not really. But their record last year does not really reflect of how hard they played because they did play very hard for their coach. We have to consider this, that a couple different plays go a different way. Yeah. They're an 8-8 team. So that being said, taking Hutchinson, who played at Michigan, it, it has that kind of hometown buzz, so to speak. Yeah. 
is a smart move. He's going to go in there. He's excited to play there. So it's not like you have somebody that was saying, if I got drafted by Detroit, I'm going to go back to college, <laughs> you know, or do some nonsense. Like, I mean, we've had that kind yeah, of experience happen in yeah. the past with certain players. He's just, all, he was also born in Plymouth, Michigan. Yeah. So, so t- dude's been in Michigan for his entire life. Yeah. So this is something that they needed to do. He's going to be a starter first day. And being in a division where Aaron Rodgers is still king, uh-huh. you need to find some kind of defensive presence to push on Rodgers if you're going to try contending in that division. If, if they play their cards right and they put all the pieces in the right spot, there's a chance for them to get at least second place in this division. And depending on how the rest of the cards work, you know, because there's obviously a lot of other good teams in that entire conference in the NFC, maybe make a run at one of the wild card spots. Yeah. Maybe. I'm not saying they will or they are. But if they play their cards right and they put the right pieces in the right place, they might be able to. They could be a sleeper. They could be. We'll talk about that when we get closer to the season because obviously different factors can emerge. But I will say this. I thought Detroit did okay in this draft. Yeah. I thought they addressed some needs overall. But Hutchinson was the number one I had overall, so I thought this was smart for them. So no argument here. But next up. Uh, next up was the Houston Texans with the number three overall pick, and they drafted uh, Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU, and he is a cornerback. Yeah, nothing really too surprising here. This draft was great for the defensive side of the ball. I think teams really upgraded a lot. Yeah. And as we mentioned before with Houston, it's almost like in Jacksonville's case. Mm-hmm. You really could not make a bad pick, so you, to you speak. Need like, and much like, you know, uh, Jacksonville and Detroit, they need everything, including the kitchen sink. Yes. So drafting a corner at this position, thought was a smart thing. Stingley is a great player for that. I think he'll definitely help. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's going to be the game changer, so to speak, out the gate, but he definitely needs some help to balance him out because he could be a lights-out corner, and they definitely are going to need that if they're going to try getting back on track to a winning record. I mean, this is going to be a situation that – I'm not expecting Houston to be relevant for a couple seasons, to be honest with you. I know teams can have a lot of parity with the NFL and definitely do some work. Houston needs a lot. Yeah, they do. Just top to bottom. I mean, obviously, being in Tennessee's division, you have to match up. Like, you have to match up to the top of that class. Well, then you also got to remember Indianapolis and Jonathan Taylor. Right. But Indy is – we'll get to Indy a little later in this. But Indy is such a question mark because, like we say, they're the most boring team in football. True. They now have Matt Ryan there. He is an upgrade from what they had, but is he enough to get them over the hump, so to speak? As long as he doesn't get out to a 25-point lead. Yeah, this. oh, never forget, Pat. Never uh-huh. forget. But for Houston, yeah, this is a smart move for them. Can't really argue about this too much. No. Uh, number four was the New York Jets, who took Ahmed Sauce Gardner uh, from Cincinnati, and he is a cornerback. I will say this for record. I thought the Jets had the best draft of everybody. Really? Lights out. I thought that they did so much smart moves here, and getting Sauce Gardner is probably the best move they could have done, hands down. I think that they went in this draft, and they really knew, okay, if we're going to be relevant to the Bills and to the Patriots, and then whatever we're going to get out of Miami, right? we have to address needs. I thought they definitely did that. Gardner is going to be... Probably the closest you'll see to Daryl Rivas coming back to the Jets. Maybe. In all honesty, he's got that potential. He's a shutdown corner. He arguably is the best corner that was in this draft. And they definitely made the smart move by going to get him. 
and this will definitely help their defense. I know later they drafted Jermaine Johnson mm-hmm. from the Florida State. He's another you know game changer as well. Yeah. So they definitely spent the time to build that defense up, and this is very very smart because <coughs> they they need a lot of work too. But their defense wasn't exactly the worst. Their offense was more in question. Oh yeah. And that goes on to Zach Wilson. But that's a whole other ball game. Oh yeah. But hey. When you put all your chips in on a first-round quarterback, you're stuck with them for a couple of years. Oh yeah. Very rarely do you get lightning in a bottle, and you can you know ride it out like the Bills did with Josh Allen or Patriots with Tom Brady. Yes. But this is a situation that they have definitely been locked and loaded with Zach Wilson. You got him some help later in that draft too. Yeah, they took uh, Garrett Wilson, uh, who we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, the wide receiver from Ohio State. They also later in the draft around two, they took Brees Hall, the running back from Iowa State, uh, tight end, a couple, uh, and then an offensive tackle. So they're giving Zach Wilson pieces, but it's almost like, okay, we're giving you pieces. Show us what you can do. Yeah, because I think in this situation, as wild as it might be to say, this is a make-or-break season for that kid. Mm-hmm. Because you've now given him weapons. You've upgraded enough that yeah. they should contend. Not saying playoffs. Contend. Playoffs. But I think that it's all going to ride on this kid's progression. Mm-hmm. And I think if he's not going to be the guy, and let's face it, as of right now, he's not the guy. We'll say I very vividly remember the first game of the season the Patriots played against them where it was like, Three, four, or five interceptions. I have three, four, five interceptions. It was something insane that he had by like halftime. Yeah, like he has a lot of pressure on him, and if he can, if he can't make those adjustments, he's in the wrong city for it. Mm-hmm. Even though the Jets are the Jets, you're still in New York City. Yeah, oh yeah. You have to deal with the New York City media, and they will definitely chew him up and spit him out. No, this is definitely like put up or shut up time, just because everything you hear about this year's class not being all that great. And I mean, and you look at where the quarterbacks were taken shows you everything you need to know, but everything you hear about next year's quarterback class and being better and and being a good quarterback class, Wilson's got to be looking over his shoulder a little bit. He definitely has to. So they've now given him enough weapons. And like I said, I thought they upgraded on both sides of the ball. Like the jets will be a lot better barring any injuries or anything really crazy happening. Not saying they're going to contend, but, or get to playoffs, but I think they'll contend. I think they'll be in a lot longer discussion about making the switch to being a winning franchise. Yeah. So we'll kind of have to wait to see what goes from there. Uh, with the fifth overall pick, the New York Giants took Kavan Thibodeau, uh, the Oregon's uh, defensive end. Really like this move for the Giants. I thought Makes that, sense. I thought that they had a great draft as well. Um, I thought that they addressed the needs they needed to in the first round. Yeah. Because they have no defensive presence, really, in my opinion. God, no, they don't. No, Thibodeau has that potential. And he's definitely somebody that can make an impact quicker than most. Right. But he's definitely going to have to get some help, and especially with Dabble running that team now. Obviously, it's a new regime in the Giants. He's going to have to definitely make some stuff happen quick. If Thibodeau's all in, he can definitely do this, especially because it's the NFC least. Right. His only real competition there is Dallas. Yeah. And if he can get some pressure on Dak, it's a whole different ballgame. Especially with that offensive line not being the offensive line of old. Facts. And, and by old, I don't mean, you know, the glory days of the 90s. I'm talking, like, of a couple of years ago where they were talked about as the number one offensive line in all of football. They're not the same offensive line. They've got some holes. Yeah, they definitely got some holes. But it's a situation that if the Giants were going to make a play, 
this is going to be the time to do it, mm-hmm. especially if you're auditioning the team for a new quarterback next season because uh-huh. they did not renew Danny Dimes' contract. Or they didn't pick, no, they didn't pick did, up the option. Didn't pick up the option, rather. So, yeah, he's you. on his last uh, year. Yeah, so it's either going to be he's going to be the guy, which I don't – I just don't see it happening at this stage. Because this, this will be his, what, fourth year? Mm, something like that. I think it's this will be his fourth year because they didn't pick up the fifth-year option. I mean, at this point, barring something short of a renaissance, you know what you're going to get from the guy. You know, it's it's not like all of a sudden he's going to wake up one morning in training camp and start showing, showing shades of, like, a combination of uh, Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, and Terry Bradshaw combined or something. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like all of a sudden a switch is going to flip and you go, oh, that's it. That's how we do it. Like, you know what you're going to get from the guy. So short of something, of some miraculous leap he makes, he's not the guy. Yeah, he's definitely not. But this is also going to be Dabble's going to want to get his own people in there. I mean, that's going to be the thing. He wants to make his statement with his idea, his vision, yeah. his franchise. So we're going to have to wait and see about it. But like I said, I like the pick that they did here with Thibodeau, and I like the one they did at number seven with Evan Neal, too, as well. I thought that – Oh, yeah. And I know we'll get to that in a little second, though, because there was one pick in between, so we definitely got to talk about that. Uh, Yeah, and that was the Carolina Panthers with the number six overall pick, and they took Akeem Ikuanu, uh, the North Carolina State offensive tackle. I honestly thought Ikuanu was going to be the number one pick going into this draft. Sure. For a while. I thought Hutchinson overtook him, but I thought he was going to be – around that number one, two range. Sure. Detroit would have been smart, too, if Hutchinson went number one to take Iquanu because, obviously, they drafted Sewell last season. Yeah. That would have been a nasty one-two combo in that line. Yeah. But Carolina did not trade out this pick. This was something that was going to be a hotbed discussion. Oh, yeah. That, okay, what is going to be Carolina's play here? Because Carolina is another team that doesn't have an identity right now. They have McCaffrey for now. For now, he was also in trade discussions going oh, into yeah. draft night. Oh, yeah. But they still don't have exactly a franchise quarterback. And everybody thought that maybe Carolina would take a flyer on one of the quarterbacks coming out this year. Mm-hmm. They did not. No, because in all honesty, none of the quarterbacks who got taken out of this class are any better than what they've got. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, it's pretty comparable. Yeah, they definitely made the smart choice here because you got to build up a line if you're going to get a quarterback. So I think that whoever is going to step in as center – they're going to need some protection. Aquanu is a perfect oh, yeah. guy for that. So no arguments about that pick here. But next up was Evan Neal yep. is with the Giants. And I had Neal as my top offensive tackle in this draft. I know Aquanu I thought should go number one, but I like Neal a little better. Sure. Because I think Alabama, listen, if you are producing running back after running back after running back, mm-hmm. that is all world you know, in the NFL, mm-hmm. it goes back to that line that makes the holes for him to run through. Oh, yeah. So if they take somebody from Alabama as, a, as the offensive line, is a smart move. He fits into a dabble scheme. Mm-hmm. No real shocker here. I think oh, he's yeah. going. I think he's going to do big things in New York. No, Al- Alabama guys, you know, on, on the offensive line or even on the defensive line, they're they're real studs. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's some there's something about Alabama down there that just for as much of a pain in the ass as they are winning championships every year and being in the in the Final Four tournament or whatever you want to call it every year. You can't argue that the guys who come out of there are all studs. Yeah. It's a situation that they're, you know, building that reputation in Alabama. And when you get to the pros, there's a high expectation to hit. Oh, yeah. I think Neil's going to do that in New York. I think it'll be a slam dunk for him. Oh, yeah. Uh, at number eight was the Atlanta Falcons who took Drake London, the wide receiver from USC. No shocker here. I think we everybody, if there was one safe pick this NFL draft, 
It was London was going to Atlanta. Well, and Drake, the rapper, made like 300000 or some absurd amount of money off of this pick because he put a bet down that London would be the first wide receiver taken. And sure as shit, he was. Oh, yeah. No, there was no question about this. Atlanta, because, Pat, who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Atlanta needs help. Yeah, they do. I mean, Everywhere. We, we went over it last week. Short of Kyle Pitts, there is not a offensive player on that team that you know short of a quarterback that i would draft for my fantasy team no definitely not in- Mar- mariota i might take for like a backup role like ah shit my quarterback got injured my bat my backup isn't anything real special oh i like the matchup atlanta's got this week i'll take mariota for a week kyle pitts i had him on my fantasy team last year eh, nothing all, all that special but like the rest of them eh. no the this draft didn't really have a lot of sizzle to it in the wide receiver core I know that there will be some comparable receivers in this draft. Sure. But unless somebody really comes out of nowhere and lights the NFL on fire, I'm not seeing anybody here that's really going to do it. I think the, there's a lot of number twos and threes in this draft, but not a yeah. true number one. Yeah. I think a lot of pressure will be on London per se. But then again, you're in Atlanta. You're not mm-hmm. expected to do anything for a couple seasons. Yeah. You know, there's, they, there's no real veteran around you to be like, oh, hey. That's the leader. You're learning from him, you know, and then you'll take over the mantle when the time comes. Like, you are the guy. Yeah. And I will say probably on record, I think Atlanta's going to be the number one draft pick next season. Even though they're they're stockpiling right now, I just, I don't see an identity with this team. No, I mean, mean, they got Mariota, who's okay, but, like, you're giving him nothing to work with offensively. You can't throw the ball to Kyle Pitts all goddamn day. They've got Cordell Patterson as one of their running backs. So let's, let's face it, I appreciate him for the years he gave us in New England. Mm-hmm. But he's not an every down back in my eyes. Uh, so I'm I'm with you. They're either going to be I, I won't say number one. They're going to be at least top three. I will. No, I'm going to go to record. I'll call it. I'll call a shot right now. I think they're going to be number one. I not wishing anything bad on the franchise, but show me something. Because right now, even though you added London and you got Pitts, you're still not going to be contending. No, anywhere near. I'm sorry. Prove me wrong. That's my challenge, Atlanta fans. Prove me wrong. But next up, though. Uh, yeah, next up is the number ninth overall pick, which uh, was the Seattle Seahawks, and they took Charles Cross, offensive tackle for Mississippi State. I will say this. I thought Seattle had a lackluster draft. Yeah. Like, I think if you have to give a – like, I don't want to say a bad grade, but all things considered, you lost Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. You really don't have any identity right now. You're still in the NFC West where everybody else got better to a degree. Yeah. You really didn't do a lot to really stand out. No, I mean, if I'm I'm a teacher in grade school, giving them, you know, a grade back on their paper, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily giving them a failing grade, but I am writing at the top of their paper, see me. Yeah. You know, like they did all right. You know, they also took uh, an offensive or outside linebacker from Minnesota, Running back from Michigan State, offensive tackle from Washington State, a couple cornerbacks, defensive end, uh, two wide receivers, you know, late in the draft. You know, so they did all right, but it's not anything that's like, wow, this is really going to pay off dividends for them. Like, okay. Yeah. It's going to be a situation that they got a lot of restructuring to do, and depending on who they get as quarterback, we know they've been talks about Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. But until they kind of solidify an identity – uh, I think they'll struggle a little bit. Yeah. I do like them a l- slightly better against Atlanta. Like That's why I said for Atlanta, even though they do have a couple playmakers, right? it's kind of like the same thing with Seattle. Yeah. So I don't say really... at least Seattle has more targets than Atlanta currently. Yes. Yeah. And Pete Carroll's still up there. So, True. I mean, the coaching does help. So that's why I say Seattle, a lot of work to do. Not, not the greatest of drafts, but no. 
definitely they could take a step in the right direction. Uh, and then the number 10 overall pick, as we alluded to earlier, was the New York Jets, who took Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Once again, Zach Wilson finally got some help. Yeah. Um, Is Wilson going to be a game changer? Probably not. Yeah, we'll see. I think he'll be comparable number two. I don't know if he's going to be a necessary number one. Yeah. But it could happen. I think on the Jets, though, it was a situation that they needed to upgrade the offense, and they did. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Matt Miller from uh, ESPN.com on the ESPN draft recap uh, I'm reading off of uh, gives an NFL comp for every pick. He compares uh, Garrett Wilson to Robert Woods. Yeah, that's a fair pick. Yeah. That's a fair comparison. Woods is a solid number two, this, yeah. and there's no slight against him, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, he, he does have one potential. Sure. But – but I then mean, again, you also have Zach Wilson as your quarterback, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, when you're out west and you have Cooper Cup and everybody else with the Rams, I mean, it's a different structure there. Yeah. Going to the Jets, you're either going to have a high bar or a low bar. Mm-hmm. The high bar is within your own fan base. The you, low you, bar is with the rest of the league. The Jets need a good offensive coordinator. I don't know who it is, but like, you need to have a good offensive coordinator there because Salah is your uh, coach. Mm-hmm. Defensive-minded guy. So he's not exactly going to be coming up with these mastermind, revolutionary offensive schemes on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. He can help, and he can, like, all right, here's what I think the defense is doing. Why don't we try doing this? Why don't we try doing that? But, like, not an offensive guy. So you you need a really good offensive coordinator to go along with your quarterback. And, well, the quarterback's so-so. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how it all kind of shapes up, though, I will say. Yeah. Other than that, Pad, what sticks out to you in the in the first round? Anything, any moves, any any players well the tennessee titans trading aj brown to the philadelphia eagles christ all goddamn mighty and then giving him what was it like a four-year hundred million dollar deal yes on shit it was a little wild to see that move uh especially tennessee i mean really thought he was going to be staying there longer but this is a situation in the nfl that you never know what could happen trading him to philly was kind of a wild move on their part yeah but it pans out yeah so uh, also, I would say uh, Pittsburgh taking Kenny Pickett uh, at the number 20 position, the quarterback from Pittsburgh. You know, I realize they got Maserati, Mitchell Trubisky, but, like, I I didn't think Pittsburgh could take a quarterback this early. You know, they've got Mitchell Trubisky, but like we've said before and like we've said, you know, in weeks past, this year's quarterback draft class really isn't all that good. Like, no. I, I think I remember seeing a stat on NFL Network on Saturday that, like, they were – Pickett was the first quarterback taken, obviously, number 20. And then, if I remember right, the next one wasn't taken until, like, the 70th or 80th pick, mm-hmm. which is, like, one of the longer gaps in NFL draft history or something like that. So, like, this year's quarterback class wasn't good. I would have taken a quarterback later because Christ knows they would have been there. Yeah. And maybe address one of your other spots there. That's the only other. That's the only thing that I looked at. I'm like, eh, might have been a, mis- a mistake. Well, with the Steelers, I think they were in a situation that – this offseason, I think they were planning on trying to land an Aaron Rodgers or, yeah. a, or a higher profile yeah. quarterback. And I think when it didn't pan out, okay, they we, went shit. We got to do something. Pickett was the number one projected quarterback of this class. Now, is he necessarily the guy? Debatable. Right. I, I mean, mean, Matt Miller on ESPN compares him to Kirk Cousins. Uh, and then it's a post-draft analysis, quote, an interesting pick for the Steelers as Pickett doesn't offer traits that newly signed Mitchell Trubisky doesn't already bring to the table. It's likely Pickett will compete with Trubisky in the preseason, but his lack of rushing upside seems to go away from the current trend in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's something that's going to hold him back, too. Oh, yeah. 
But it's something that the Steelers have worked with. Because, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, not exactly a rushing quarterback. True. Moved around like a tree. Right. But I think that Pickett has the physical prototype that they like in in Pittsburgh. Sure. So I think it will pan out. And plus, he's not projected to start. Like, he'll compete. Oh, sure. But they still got Trubisky in there. They got some time to sit and have him learn. And I think that's the smart move. It's going to be something the Steelers will do. And they'll be very, like I say, I can't stress enough. They're such a smart organization, they'll handle this kid well. They're smart, but I, I think at the same time, I think they might be trying to catch lightning in a bottle twice because I remember hearing on draft night that when they took this, or maybe it was the day after, that the one of the trainers or one of the guys uh, Pickett works with mm-hmm. is also the guy that Ben Roethlisberger worked with early in his, mm-hmm. early in his career. So maybe they're like, oh, he, this guy worked with Ben Roethlisberger, and what, look what we got. Maybe they're trying to catch lightning in a bottle twice. I don't know. Like, it's Pittsburgh. You, you always look at the guys that, like, have been studs and stars for them that then leave for one reason or another, good, bad retirement or otherwise. Sure. And then there's always that next man up. There's always that guy. You know, Jerome Bettis retires, and then you get you fill-ins. You know, Plaxico Burris was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He leaves, and then you, you step in and fill, and you can, you know, look over the years. Sure. They've always had that track record, and we'll see if this works out, but I don't know. No, it's a situation that I think the organization has established that reputation. So any move like this, I don't think is necessarily a bad one. I don't think it's a home run either. No. But I think it's one that when we say there, this person could be a project. Sure. I think Pickett could be because, I'm sorry, if you're playing in an elite conference in college – you got to win bowl games. You got to set those records. If you have the physical prototype, that doesn't mean anything. And we have seen this time in and time out with the draft that teams fall in love with a certain physical prototype. We're worried about hand size. We're worried about height. We're worried about this. I'm questioning can they win? That's what I want on my team. I want somebody that's going to go out there every single Sunday or Monday or Thursday, whenever it gets played. And leave it all on the field. I want somebody that's going to be able to take my team and lead them. Does this person have that qualities? When have I seen them down? How have I seen them rebound? What is it going to be about it? I don't care if they throw sidearm. I don't care if they throw, mm-hmm. you know, trick shots, whatever. Sure. If they can win some games, then that's my guy. So with the Steelers, I think they've already established that brand. So I trust what they're doing, but I think I'm not seeing it right now, but it's not to say I'm writing this kid off. Either. Sure. So. Other moves that really stuck out to me, though, I got to say the trade Arizona did mm-hmm. for getting Hollywood Brown out of oh, yeah. out of Baltimore. Well, we ended up finding out why they did that. Yeah, DeMar- or, uh, DeAndre Hopkins uh-huh. is suspended for six games for PED. Uh, yeah, for a PED. He put out a statement on Instagram that he was surprised by it. He's very careful what he puts into his body. He's going to be doing his own investigation and trying to figure out what happened with it. And it should be noted, I think initially he was going to appeal the suspension, but then he dropped it. So he is going to be out the first six weeks of the season. Yeah, and I think that Arizona made a smart move getting Hollywood Brown. Lamar Jackson, how do you feel about it? I can't hey. imagine he's he's too happy about it. But at uh, if the, you looked at his Twitter feed on the night of the draft, he wasn't. No, I can imagine he's not. But th- this is the one thing, too. We talk about the established brands. I trust everything Baltimore does in their draft. And getting Kyle Hamilton at the 14th, yeah. the safety, that's a, that's a steal. That's a big move, too. I think that they will be just fine because if you think about it in the history of the Baltimore Ravens, Mm-hmm. Who has been like the dominant number one? You know, who has been a takeover guy? Mm-hmm. 
you know, they've always been a run first, smash mouth, punch you in the face oh, yeah. style offense. Or and like Lamar Jackson, he's always been a running quarterback. Oh yeah. You know, they've always utilized their tight ends throughout the sure. throughout the years. Sure. And, but if they had somebody like on the level of for example, like an Antonio Brown. Have they had a Calvin Johnson? No. Have they you know, like but they win. They've games. they've had good guys, but none of them are ever like take over I'm gonna try and get this guy on my Madden ultimate team. You know, they've had guys, and they've been good. Mm-hmm. But none of them have been, like, in the conversation of, like, you think great receivers you've been able to watch on TV. Usually not in the first ten or dozen names you mention. Yeah, but it's a situation that, for Baltimore, it it's weird to say, but it doesn't matter. Because Baltimore, much like Pittsburgh, is ran so well, especially mm-hmm. in their drafts. Oh, yeah. They find people. They have a very quiet next-man-up mentality, too. So the Ravens, even though it sucks moving Hollywood Brown, oh yeah, it's fine. Like it's a weird thing, and I know I will get hit up by a few Ravens fans that listen to the podcast too. It's fine. I know this is a bad loss per se because he's he's beloved there, oh, yeah. and, and he's a great player. But they'll be fine. Oh yeah. And for Arizona, listen, I'm going to say this right now: if Kyler Murray uh, still wants out after this wide receiver core that they've built for him, God. Damn. I don't know what that kid is looking for. Shit's like playing Madden with the budgets turned off. It's the wildest thing. Like, that whole drama in Arizona, I just I don't get it. Well, and especially the fact that, okay, you're going to be out DeAndre Hopkins the first six games of these. Let's still comment. you got Kyler Murray as your quarterback. James Conner is your running back. You've got Hollywood Brown, A.J. Green, Hopkins when he comes back. You know, they've got Rondell Moore as one of their other wide receivers. Uh, and then you've got Zach Ertz as your tight end. Holy shit. Like, legitimately, this is like playing Madden and turning off the budgets and, and turning forced trades on. Yeah. So, Arizona, it's now or never, too. You, like, you're another team that that window is uh-huh. going to be closing on. You're too loaded not to be getting further in the playoffs. Just putting this out there. Oh, yeah. But, Pad, other than those picks we just mentioned, we obviously got to talk about our picks to wrap yeah. the segment up. Yeah. How you feeling about the Patriots? I thought they did all right. You know, it wasn't necessarily the worst draft day, you know, I've ever I've ever had with the Patriots, and it wasn't necessarily the best, but I, th- I thought it was all right. You know, they took Cole Strange, the offensive guard from Chattanooga, uh, who sub, uh, supplants Terrell Owens, the highest drafted player from Chattanooga history. You know, I thought that was a fun little fact. Mm-hmm. You know, I know at the time people said he was a reach, and, and I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I know Patriots Twitter was – Absolutely thrilled with the pick. Let me just say, <laughs> sarcasm. Yeah. Um. You know, but I think I think he'll be all right. He's obviously going to be a starter day one. I th- I I trust in the hoodie. I think he'll do fine. You know, short of him being <laughs> short short of him being like an absolute train wreck and getting penalties every down, I he'll be fine. You know, it might be a little bit of an adjustment, but I think he'll be fine. Uh, they took Taquan Thornton, the wide receiver from Baylor. I mean, listen, this dude's got speed. He was the fastest wide receiver at the NFL Combine with like a 4-2-1 40-yard dash. Mm. Uh, we need a deep threat. Don't get me wrong. You know, we obviously picked up uh, Devontae Parker from Miami in the offseason. We've still got G- Jacoby Myers, uh, Nelson Aguilar, and Kendrick Bourne. None of them, despite how well I throw to them deep in Madden, uh, are actual deep threat guys. Yeah. So I think Thornton can be that deep threat guy, and he can just be that, listen, run a streak, cut into the middle of the field, and go. So I, th- I think he can obviously help Mac Jones out a little bit and stretch the field a little bit. Uh, they also took a cornerback, Marcus Jones, from Houston. And 
you know, I thought the picks were all right. You know, the only one I question is the running back picks. They took uh, Pierre Strong Jr. from South Dakota State uh, in the fourth round. And then they also took Kevin Harris from South Carolina. That's the only ones I look at and go, you know, why? You know, because we've obviously got Damian Harris and Ramon J. Stevenson. Uh, James White is still on the roster as well. So that's the only one I kind of look at. I know people were up in arms and... And, and other teams and experts were confused why the Patriots took uh, Bailey Zapp, you know, the Western Kentucky quarterback, you know, in, in the uh, fourth round. Listen, you've got Brian Hoyer on, on the roster who's uh, 36 years old. He turns 37 in the middle of October, so right in the early middle part of the season. And then you've also got Jared Stenham, who is 25 years old. And let's not forget, he was drafted in 2019, also in the fourth round was a backup to Brady because Hoyer was off. I think he was in Indianapolis or someplace. Yeah, he was in India, I think. He was someplace else. So Stidham was your backup. Brady was blowing the fuck out of whoever they were playing. They brought Stidham in, and his first regular season career pass was a pick six, and they immediately took Brady off the bench and put him back in the game. Mm -hmm. No disrespect to Hoyer because he's been a great backup over the years, and he's been fine for what he's had to do. And, And no disrespect to Jared Stidham. But... God forbid something happens to Mac Jones during the season where it's like a Brady-type injury, where it's like an ACL or something that puts him out for the year. I do not trust either of those guys to lead the franchise to any amount of wins. Sorry, but I don't. With Bailey's app, maybe. We'll see. You know, he had a great college career from the stats I was reading, so I didn't look at it and go, why the fuck did they take this guy? I'm looking at it going, no, we've got a 36, almost 37, you know, we'll just say 36-and-a-half-year-old quarterback his best years are behind him. And then you've got a quarterback from Auburn who they took a couple years ago who threw a pick six in his first career NFL pass. I do not trust him to park my car. You know, so I just look at that and go, yeah, he's going to be the backup once training camp is over. Yeah, I mean, it's a backup move. I mean, he's like got Mac Jones. Yeah. Like, like I say, for anybody that was hitting the panic button, Belichick has earned that right yeah. to do whatever he wants with that team. It's his team. He's going to steer him in that direction that he feels is the best moves yeah. for them going forward. So, anybody that's questioning, I'm, I'm just sitting there going, like, what is your argument? Yeah. That you really don't have one. The only the only other question I got is, uh, what are you going to do about jerseys? Because we got a lot of Joneses on this team now. First initials. There's fucking, you can't even do that because there's a Marcus Jones now. You got a Marcus Jones, you've got a Jack Jones they took, and also you got Mac Jones. We're going to have to use, we're going to have jerseys with their full first names on them. Jesus Christ. That'd be interesting unless they go like XFL and allow a nickname or something. It's wild, you know, but I thought they did all right overall. You know, they addressed their cornerback need because obviously he lost uh, J.C. Jackson, you know, to San Diego, San Diego, L.A., whoever, in the offseason. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of maybe would have addressed some of the linebacker issues just because Dante Hightower is getting, getting uh, some age on him, you know. But outside that, I thought they did all right. Yeah. As far as the Bills go, and I'm not saying this as a – a homer pick. Bullshit. Yeah, you, you take that. You take that and delete that comment right there. No, I honestly thought the Bills had a great draft. And listen, listen they won the draft. They they drafted the punt god. Yeah, they did. Still wild. Matariza, San Diego State. The man who allegedly has uh, investments into every major car company except for, I believe, Toyota. That blows my mind. Man diversifies his money. Man, that it's it's wild. Uh, but I honestly was in love with the first pick. Kyrie Ilum. Oh yeah, from Florida. I've seen him play. Obviously, being a Gators fan, 
I think that that was a smart move for him because I know everybody had them taken uh, Brees Hall mm-hmm. from uh, the Jets yeah. that ultimately wound up going from Ohio or Iowa rather. I thought, okay, we do need a running back, sure. But the greater need that we have on this team is cornerback. Tredavious White is coming back from a ACL injury. Yep. We, and obviously, I, all signs point he'll be back to 100% by the time the season starts. Sure, but you just don't know what you're going to get with that type of injury. Right. It's going to take time for him to come back. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And I know that they've had some minor shakeups on the defensive side of the ball, but this kid can play. Now, the only question I had about him, but this is something they can work with him in the NFL. Sure. He's not a great tackler. Uh-huh. He's somebody that is great in coverage. He can definitely cover all sides of the field. He's somebody that will put pressure on the the wide receiver. It's going to be tough for him to get the ball. But if the guy gets the ball in space, it's going to be a little – that's going to be his biggest challenge. But I do love when I saw he came to Buffalo. He met with the coaching staff and the GM. He has playbook from Florida. And the, and the coaches are like, okay, what's this? He goes – I take notes after every game. Nice. I take notes on plays. This is what this wide receiver did. I struggled with. This is what they did. Uh, I That's thought smart. he did well. And he's it's huge. That's smart. And I'm like you will fit in perfectly in Buffalo. Well, and that's the thing too. I agree with you cuz we've talked about many a time, you know, over the course of the show that Buffalo's never really had a great running game. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's the thing is as bad as the quarterback uh class was with this with this year. I would say the running back class was also right there because there wasn't any one guy to me that stood out as like, this is a franchise guy. This is a guy that if you're at this point, the point where the Buffalo Bills are drafting in the draft, you got to take this guy. So like, okay, cornerback made all the sense to me. Yeah, it absolutely did. Because like I said, when they were taking, you know, everybody was saying about Brees Hall. And it's not to say he's not going to do well in the Jets. I think he's going to do great in the Jets. I was hoping the Bills got a chance to go back in the second round to get him. But running back is not exactly the number one priority on our team. We have to shore up that defense, especially I know I ripped Miami to shreds on this show, and I will continue to do that as long as breath is in my body. But they did upgrade on their wide receiver position with Tyreek Hill. So is he going to be the game changer that's going to give Buffalo problems and Miami's going to finally make that turn? Hard to say. Mm-hmm. but you have to at least address it enough. Right. Ilum is the guy that can at least address it. So, And I know he's going to take over for Levi Wallace. I think this is a huge upgrade, so I'm all in on this move. I'm glad they got James Cook in the second round running back from Georgia. Right. I think he'll be good. I think Zach Moss's days are officially done in Buffalo. Not maybe necessarily because I'm reading the post-draft analysis from ESPN, uh, and it reads, quote, uh, Buffalo has a number of serviceable backs, but 2020 third-round pick Zach Moss hasn't developed as hoped, uh, and I think you would agree with that. Oh, yeah, no, that's facts. Here's the key part where Zach Moss might not be on his last days in Buffalo. Here's the key part, and he's the he, and he, meaning Zach Moss, is the only back on the roster who isn't either a restricted or unrestricted free agent in 2023. That's interesting. So. so Zach Moss days might not be numbered. We'll see. No, but he could he could go to be a third down back. But the the Moss is just like the article you just read is perfect. He hasn't developed into the NFL player they thought he was going to. He he was great in college. Sure. Just sometimes, but that's the thing about the draft. Like people look great in college. Oh yeah. But I know he went to Utah. Oh yeah. It's not exactly a powerhouse in comparison no. to the SEC. No. So it's tough to really take somebody that the competition level is a little different. Oh yeah. And bring him into the NFL, and you're expecting that instant transition. 
could Moss develop into something? I mean, yeah, I hope so. If we maybe. got him on contract, I mean, we you still got to get working, but I know there, there's issues. Enough said. I think Cook being there definitely helps. I think that it'll balance Singletary out. But then again, he's got to work with an offensive line that still needs a bit of work. Oh, yeah. That's the thing about Buffalo, too. Like, let's not forget about this. The Bills have been addressing the line issue, so it's not to say that it's a forgotten thing in this draft. Is it enough to get them to that elite status? It's close. I mm-hmm. will say that. They're close. Sure. I'm not going to be like Kyle Brandt who got out there for the Bills pick of uh, Shakir from uh, Boise State and was calling the shot of Super Bowl. Because mm. I remember that. Or, oh, yeah. okay. or, or it might have been um, Terrell Bernard. It was one of the later round picks. But he called the shot and said, we're winning the Super Bowl. And I'm sitting there going, please, like, don't call that shot just yet. I still have not gotten over about the 13 seconds the time stood still. And we are never getting back as Bills Mafia. But regardless of that fact, I think the Bills did some smart moves. Like I said, Shakir from Boise State could fit into that uh, Cole Beasley slot. Sure. I'm not saying it's going to be a lights-out move there. Obviously, Beasley not coming back is going to hurt them in that aspect. But I think that they also have a couple wide receivers on that team that could fit into that spot. Oh, yeah. So something to look forward to there. And I know Terrell Bernard from Baylor as a linebacker they took in the third round. Listen, the big thing I kept on hearing was undersized. It doesn't matter if you can play because there's one linebacker that stood out to me in history pad named London Fletcher. True. Who was a quote-unquote undersized linebacker. And he was a great Buffalo Bill for his time there. I mean, he he is listed at six foot one, two hundred and twenty four pounds, which might be a little short for a linebacker. But here's here's the thing: can he tackle? Can he make the plays? I don't give a shit how big or small he is. Exactly, and I think that's something in the draft that everybody just focuses so much on is the physicals. You have the game tape. Baylor is one of the other teams in college football. It makes sense there. No arguments about that. The rest of the draft, I mean, we kind of have to wait and see. I'm not sold on, you know, the latter half because these are where the Tom Brady's emerge. This is where your Super Bowl champions are made. Exactly. Sixth, seventh round. I mean, you never know what you're going to get out of there, but there could be somebody that gets in there. I mean, how many times have we heard in the league about somebody that was undrafted that sets the world on fire? There's a few of those. You also look at uh, Mr. Irrelevant a few years ago, Ryan Suckup. You know, kicker was Mr. Irrelevant a couple years ago. Now, Super Bowl champ. Yeah, I mean, that's the situation with the NFL is you don't know. But on the draft boards, this is where teams are really getting put under the magnifying glass. And are they going to make it or are they going to break it? I thought overall, I thought the draft went okay. It was all right. I mean, I thought, like I said, I thought the Jets had the best draft of anybody. I'll, I'll say it from the rooftops. I thought that they did everything right. This is going to be the question of can it translate on the field. Right. thought Seattle... Had a lackluster one, but this was not a draft that, like, giving them like a D or an F grade, is is unjust. Right. Like it's it's. I'm sorry, I can't. Like I would say the worst grade you could probably give somebody in this draft is like a B minus or C plus, sure. Sure. like in that range. Just because the talent level was very level, like it, there wasn't anybody that like stood up and you're like, wow, that's a must get player, trade the franchise. It just wasn't there. Yeah. I think most teams did their work in the offseason. Like, I was waiting to see what Indianapolis did. But getting Matt Ryan, that was the big upgrade for them. Pretty much. Even though he was still, you know, sounded a little bitter about leaving Atlanta. So, I'm just, I'm not sure if uh, his head's in the right place right now. But, yeah. But we'll kind of have to wait to see about that. 
But overall, though, Pad, final thoughts on this draft? A little bit of a quiet draft. You know, they can't all be home runs every year, but still fun to watch. Exactly. So that being said, it's the count out to when OTA starts the preseason. All the fun stuff that we love as NFL fans. Our teams are now, quote-unquote, set. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the NFL draft? How did your team do? Let's discuss this, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for The Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern, for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And it is time to talk some UFC. Oh boy. I am freaking excited about this card. UFC 274 happening May 7th live from the Footprint Center in Phoenix, Arizona. Man, oh man, oh man. Pad, when was the last time they had a card this stacked? Uh, It's been a hot minute. It's, I do not remember. I mean, in the day and age where we got to cough up $80 for a pay-per-view. Something like it, that, yeah. It's absolutely wild to see a card that on paper is going to live up to the hype and has got us this amped up about it. Only thing we will say very quickly about the prelims, there's only two fights that are jumping out there because there are six prelim fights, four on the early prelims. So I'm just going to say this. Chaos Williams and Randy Brown is going to be an absolute fire match. I'm excited about this. I like Chaos Williams a lot. This is a very even battle, though, for the welterweight division. So I'll say Chaos gets the decision. And then we have to plug Coach Duffy's favorite UFC fighter. Uh-huh. Pat, who is that? Uh, that is one Brandon Royval. Yes. Coach loves Brandon Royval. Yes, he does. That's his guy. Yes, he does. So Royval is fighting Matt Schnell in the flyweight division. Royval is a minus 240. We know where Coach is leaning with his heart, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and I can see Roy Val pulling this off too. So, but there is so a I'm lot. I'm gonna say Schnell for chaos. Yeah, we're gonna. I know. I think all the six or seven podcasts is going with Schnell just uh-huh. to fire Coach up on uh-huh. at Coach Duffy eleven on Twitter. Hit him up and get his picks for this as well too. I know he's gonna have a lot to say about that. But we had to give that quick overview of the prelims because my God, this fight card. The main event of the evening, if you will. Uh-huh. Five fights Oof. that have something for longtime fans of the UFC, new fans of the UFC. If you're into fights, this is your card. There is not a fight on this card that I would say that's your one. If you got to take a bathroom break, that's the one you do it at. If you got to go get some food, 
that's the one you do it at. There is not a fight on this main card that I got that is going to be a sleeper. No, because there is a couple fighters on this card. This could be their last fights. Could be. This could be. I mean, Father Time takes everybody out. But some of the names that we're going to be reading off, this could be that swan song. And they deserve their flowers, like Joey Janela. So you know we are definitely going to have a lot to say about this. So, Pad, ring the bell. Uh, so the first fight on the main card is in the lightweight division, and this is for old school fans. And listen, someone's going to fucking die in this match. I'm, I'm convinced. Uh, it is a lightweight division matchup between Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Joe Lozon. My God. Oh, my God. The Ageless Wonders. Take this back to the time machine. This is going to be an entertaining fight. Christ almighty. Somebody's going to bleed. It's probably going to be Lozon first. Uh-huh. Cerrone will probably bleed, too, just for reasons. Uh-huh. They're going to just put on a classic. This could be the last fight for both. I mean, both yeah. fighters, exceptional careers in the UFC. Cerrone is a household name for being the guy anytime, anyplace, anywhere. He would fight anybody. There is not one person on this roster that he has ever ducked. Ever. Yeah. So Cerrone versus Lozon is definitely one that... I know Cerrone's already talking about fighting after this, too. But I think this could be the last fight for both. I expect fireworks. I'm going to say this. I think we're going to go to decision. Mm. And I think... You might see Lozon sneak this out. Maybe. I, I, and I hate betting against Cerrone. I, I really do. But this is going to be a situation where Lozon comes in. He's going to bleed first round. He's probably going to lose that one. And then he's going to make a compelling case for the last two. He, he fights a lot like Frankie Edgar. So I yeah. can see this going down that way. Who you got in this one, Pat? Uh, so looking at the records, Donald Cerrone in 54 professional matches. Yes, you heard 54. that. 54. 54 professional matches. Has a record of 36 wins, 16 losses, and two no contests. Uh, he lost his last fight to Alex uh, Morano uh, via TKO. That was back in May of last year. Uh, and then the fight prior to that was against Nico Price. Originally, it was uh, a majority draw. However, that was overturned by the Nevada State Athletic Commission after Price uh, tested positive for marijuana. Yeah. Uh, so that's a no contest. Uh, after, prior to that, uh, what is it? Cerrone lost to Anthony Pettis by unanimous decision. Conor McGregor knocked him out. Uh, Gaethje knocked him out, and then Ferguson knocked him out. His last loss was to Al Iaquinta. That was back in May of 2019. Uh, on the flip side, you've got Joe Lozon, who in 43 professional 43. Has a record of 28 wins, 15 losses, is on a one-fight win streak, uh, beating Jonathan Pierce via TKO. Uh, should note, that was back on October 18th of 2019, so it has been a hot minute since Lozon has fought. I'm going to say... Lozon, because he's had some time off. He's presumably as fresh as a daisy as he can be, considering he's got 43 professional matches under his belt. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Lozon. Right now I can hear somebody screaming at their podcast player vowing vengeance Saturday, and that is the one and only dog. I've Listen, I've been in worse situations where dog is pissed, yeah, this, and, I've, and I've lived. This is true. We know where dog is lying, too, about this one. He'll be in the building for that fight as well. Yeah, he will. What, you got to think about it. 97 combined fights uh-huh. between both of those gentlemen. <laughs> it's a lot of mileage on those tires. A lot of mileage, but both entertaining fighters. And like I say, this is probably the last time you'll, you'll see them fight together. Like, I mean, Good definitely day. fight each other. But I think for one of them, at least, it's yeah. it's, it's retirement. Like, Cerrone, yeah. I can't think of who the fighter was that called him out. And he's like, I'm already booked against Lozon, but as soon as I'm done with that, brother, I got you. Hey. Like, but that's just how Cerrone is. Cerrone is the epitome of anytime, anywhere. Facts. 
Next up. Uh, is in the lightweight division, or light heavyweight division, excuse me. Uh, we've got Mauricio Hua taking on Ovens St. Peru. Shogun Hua. Man, I, I hope this is his last one. I'm a huge Shogun fan from way back in the day. And obviously, Father Time is catching up with him. Same yeah. thing with Ovens St. Peru. I mean, Peru at one point was going to be arguably one of the bigger names in the 205 division. He's always a contender. Physically gifted, just sometimes it doesn't happen in the cage. No shame about that. I mean, 205 for a good period of time, I mean, it was John Jones and then everybody else. Yep. And he was amongst that everybody else crowd, which was pretty. It was very stacked. I mean, that goes to show how good John Jones was when he was fighting consistently without the drama. Enough said there. Uh-huh. So this one, it could be interesting to see. I know Shogun is a big dog in this one, per se. In Peru, uh, on the betting line, is a minus 235. Hmm. Shogun is a plus 190, which isn't necessarily that big, but I think by fight night, it will be bigger. I'm going to say Shogun's going to leave one last win in the cage and then call it one. All right. I think that he's going to pull a knockout somewhere here. It's going to be a good fight, though. It's not going to be like a 30-second... Jorge Masvidal knee to the face of Ben Askren type deal. I think this is going to be a battle. I think they're both going to come in there swing and want to make a point that there's still names, you know, and still yeah. somebody to be watching in the UFC. That's why I think Shogun's going to do it, but I think just this could be the swan song for him Good too. Uh, so Shogun in 40 professional matches has a record of 27 wins, 12 losses, one no count, or excuse me, one draw. Uh, he lost his last fight to Paul Craig uh, via TKO. That was back in uh, November of 2020. Won his fight against uh, Antonio Roguero Noguera uh, via split decision. That was back in July of 2020. Uh, had a dr- uh, decision draw, a uh, split decision draw to Paul Craig in November of 2019. Uh, and then on the other side, Ovin St. Peru on a two-fight losing streak, uh, losing to Tanner Bozer via knockout. That was back in June of 2021. And then losing to Jamal Hall Hill uh, via TKL. That was in December of 2020. Uh, last win was against Alonzo, uh, Menefeld. Uh, that was in September of 2020. I'm going to say, uh, Shogun, uh, you know, and for all the same reasons you did, I think it's one, one last ride, one last win, and then he'll retire at the end of the fight. Yeah. Like I think it's going to happen. And the one great thing about this is for guys that go in the cage and strike and, and Shogun, who is one of the best strikers in MMA history, he's going to go in there and just leave it on the, on the, in the cage. Same thing with Cerrone and Lozon. I mean, Lozon's a, a better submission guy, but mm-hmm. they're going to want to swing. They're going to want to put on a show for everybody. That's the great thing about this. St. Peru will match Shogun with this. Shogun, like, St. Peru's a better wrestler. He's a better grappler in that aspect. Not exactly a submission guy, but he's definitely somebody that likes to wrestle. Yeah. But I think Shogun's going to make him want to have that stand-up battle. I think when when OSP does that, mm-hmm. I think that that's where he's going to get caught with one. Yeah. So it's but either way, like what a way to kick off the main card. It's going to be great. Uh, next up is the lightweight division matchup between Michael Chandler taking on Tony Ferguson. Oh man, Tony Ferguson, at one point was destined to be in the greatest UFC fight in history. Uh huh. And then Pad, what happened? Reasons. Reasons. Him and Habib could never make it happen. Four tries. Christ almighty, freak accidents every single time. One of them tripped over a power cord and uh, missed the fight because they got injured. Yeah, it's Tony. This is a situation for him. He's got a real big test on his hands. Tony is not exactly on the uh, positive side of father time. No. And obviously, as Pat has his card called up, 
he's not been on the best streak as of late. No, both of these guys need a win and desperately. Uh, so Tony Ferguson in 31 professional matches has a record of 25 wins and six losses. He's currently on a three-fight losing streak, losing to Benil Darouche via unanimous decision in his last fight. That was in uh, May of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, lost again by unanimous decision to Charles Oliveira. That was in December of 2020. And then uh, Justin Gaethje knocked him out in May of 2020. Uh, prior to that, he was on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 fight win streak. Yep. Uh, and so he's on a bit of a slide. Also on the flip side, you've got Michael Chandler, 29 professional fights, has a record of 22 wins, 7 losses. Uh, currently on a two fight losing streak, lost to Justin Gaethje via an unanimous decision in his last fight. That was in November of last year. Uh, lost to Charles Oliveira via knockout uh, in May of last year. Uh, and then won his UFC debut, beating Dan Hooker via knockout in January of last year. So since making the jump to UFC and, and being lauded as this real great prospect and this real great name to have in the division, uh, currently one and two. Well, the one thing you got to remember too, though, is in Chandler's case, he did fight Oliveira. Yep. And Oliveira got him. And then the war he had with Justin Gaethje, they both chose violence that day. Yeah. That fight is still brutal to watch to this day. I highly recommend it. Yes, I know I'm sick, but I, I don't care. I love watching that fight because those are just two guys that just went in there and absolutely wanted to beat the crap out of each other, and they did. I got my money's worth. So for Chandler, though, I do agree with you. This is a must-win because even though he's had that the two fights there that he's lost. Mm-hmm. And what did he lose to Oliveira by again? Uh, that was TKO, punches. Yeah, so he lost again. So by two bad knockouts, he's had the or stoppages. This is a situation that, okay, he's got to get that loss out of his, there. The Gaethje fight was close, but he's got to get back on the winning track. And then you have Tony Ferguson. Now, Tony mm-hmm. obviously being on that long win streak, the fight should have happened, but then again, injuries happened, and yeah. the fight has been cursed with him in a beep. He took that shot and obviously lost that bet when he was interim champion. And then here we are. He's on the back end of the career. He's been losing to the top of that division, and especially the lightweight division in, in the UFC is is arguably the deepest one in all of MMA. Mm-hmm. There's no question about this. If Ferguson is still going to be relevant, he needs this win. Yes. I don't see it happening, though. And I'm not saying this hating on Tony. I'm just saying Michael Chandler is going to come in there and want to finish this early. The one thing that Ferguson is going to try doing is making that uh, the fight in his pace because mm-hmm. he is great about setting a tempo. But as we saw in his last fight, he looked awful. Yeah. He looked downright awful. And I'm just saying this. I think this is going to be a short night for Ferguson. Mm-hmm. I think Chandler's going to knock him out in the second round. I think he's going to knock him out clean. Could be. Like, I, I definitely think Chandler's going to win, though. He's got more to prove. He's got more to prove. He's on the better side of things. And then this becomes an interesting situation for him because as we get to the actual main event, there are implications that will fall on Michael Chandler's uh, lap there. So we this is a big fight for him, and that's why I said I think he's going to want to finish early and healthy, and we'll get into that a little later. Yeah. Uh, for, next up is the co-main event of the evening. Uh, it is in the women's strawweight division, and you've got uh, champion Rose Namajunas taking on Carla Esparza. Thug Rose! Thug Rose! Uh-huh. Oh, my God. This is going to be an amazing fight. I'm super excited about this one. Thug Rose, what can you say about her, Pad? Uh, she's real damn good. She's freaking fantastic. Taking a look at her record, she has been putting on some stellar performances. I know she had that one blip when she got slammed 
by Jessica Andrade yep. and knocked out. Yep. But since that point, she has been an absolute terror. I mean, when she take, when you're the person that takes out the mystique of Joanne Jerzejczyk uh-huh. and and does it decisively, that's that's a that's a star making performance right uh-huh. there. But you got the rest of that record lined up. Yeah. So in uh, 15 professional matches, she has a record of 11 wins, four losses. Currently on a three fight win streak, uh, beating Zhang Weili twice, once by split decision in her last fight. Uh, prior to that was a knockout head kick uh, that was in uh, April of 2021, uh, and then she beat Jessica Andrade by split decision that was in July of 2020. Over on the flip side, you've got Carla Esparza, who in 24 professional matches has a record of 18 wins, six losses, currently on a one, two, three, four, five fight win streak. Uh, last fight was against, Z- and I'm going to butcher this name, so I apologize, uh, Yan uh, Zhaoan. Uh, who she beat by knockout uh, TKO in May of last year, beat Marina Rodriguez by split decision in uh, July of 2020, Michelle Watterson by split decision uh, in May of 2020, Alex uh, Alexa Grasso via majority decision in September of 2019, and then uh, Verna Janaraba uh, by unanimous decision in April of 2019. Well, the one thing about Esparza is she's very underrated as far as it goes for this fight. That she has been somebody that she has the potential to really step up and really take a hold of this fight. She's more of a, a, a ground-and-pound type fighter. She's not going to win a striking battle with Rose. I'm sorry. Like, she's not going to do that. Rose is training with that camp of killers with Justin Gaethje Kamaru Usman. Oh, God, yeah, that's right. So, and obviously, Pat Barry knows what he's doing when we're talking about striking. So, obviously, having that coaching team around her, this is going to be the situation where I think this is going to be an interesting styles clash. I think that this could definitely have some real good firework moments here, too, because I don't think Esparza is going to get knocked out early. But I do like, and still, I do like Namajunas in this one. It's going to be close. I will say that. But I think that what you're going to have to see here, though, is how quickly Thug Rose can establish that tempo. Because, obviously, when they were on the Ultimate Fighter all those years ago, yeah, you know, it was a different fighter, and, and, and Esparza got the best of that one. But this is a situation where... Thug Rose is on a different level. And obviously, how many years is removed? Eight, I believe, since Something that fight. Something like that, yeah. This is going to be a different Thug Rose. Esparza is going to be game for this one. Don't sleep on this fight. I stress this. But I'm going to have to make that prediction. I'm going to say Thug Rose wins via decision. Uh, I'm going to say Thug Rose via, I'm going to say submission. Oh, going on a limb there. Yeah. That's an interesting parlay bet. She's got a submit. She got uh, five submission wins under her belt. I think she can make it six. Never know. Uh, and then for the main event, uh, the fight we're all here for, it is for the lightweight division championship, and you've got Charles Oliveira defending his belt against Justin Gaethje. Man, oh man, oh man. The lightweight division cannot be any hotter right now. No. Charles Oliveira finally getting that chance to grab the brass ring and definitely did his thing, obviously knocking out Michael Chandler, defeating Dustin Poirier, Ten fights in a row, Pad. Am I right about that stat? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yes, ten in a row. 
Last loss was to Paul Felder, who knocked him out in December of 2017. Yes. He is doing a lot of work right now, and finally the modern, casual MMA fans are finally catching on with us hardcore fans have always known. Oliveira is no joke. Nope. He might not get the big flashy, you know, press conference sound bites that one Conor McGregor does. All that man does is go out there and put on performance after performance after performance. Dude's a fucking submission machine. Yep. Because in 41 professional matches, he's got a record of 32 wins, 8 losses, 1 no contest. Of those 32 wins, 20 of them are by submission. Yeah. And he uh, currently owns the record for most submission wins in UFC history. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. Like, he is that damn good. And he, remember, you got he used to fight at 145. So yeah. he's, he's done both. Like, would I love to see him fight Alexander Volkanovsky? Just going to throw that karma out in the world? But I digress. On the other side of the cage, though, is Justin Gaethje. Yeah, uh, he in uh, 26 professional matches, has a record of 23 wins, three losses. Uh, is on a one-fight win streak. He beat Michael Chandler by unanimous decision in his last fight. That was in November of last year. Uh, lost the fight prior to that to Habib, which, let's face it, no shame there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was in October of 2020. Uh, and then was prior to that was on a one, two, three, four-fight win streak, beating the likes of Tony Ferguson via knockout, Donald Cerrone via knockout, Edson Barbosa via knockout, and James Vick via knockout. Uh-huh. So for Gaethje, I mean, listen, we all know the game plan. Get him into the ground. Uh, stay up. Punch him. Don't, yeah. don't go to the ground. There's going to be one challenge that we have to f- find out, and once we do, however early in the fight it's going to be, <coughs> we'll know how this is going to go. Hey, Gaethje, how's your ground defense? Exactly. <laughs> oh, shit. I know Oliveira has been winning with the hands. But I'm going to say this right now. He is going to try getting this to the ground as quick as humanly possible. I mean, Oliveira wins with hands, but it feels like he's almost fucking around and like, oh, let's just do this for fun. Because last fight, uh, submission win. Uh, Chandler, TKO. Tony Ferguson, unanimous decision. Kevin Lee, submission win. Uh, Then he had a knockout win, knockout win, and then one, two, three. Three, four submission wins in a row. It's like he's just throwing in this other stuff just for fun and just to, like, spice it up a little bit. Well, the only thing I fear with Oliveira, though, is the same trap Frank Mir fell into, in my opinion. And that is when you are so dominant Mm -hmm. in submitting opponents and, like, your ground game is, like, flawless, and you get a knockout here and there, just, you know, reasons. Sure. You start thinking you're a knockout artist. And then you run into somebody that is a true knockout artist. And then you get taken because you forget, like, what brought you to the dance. I'm not saying Oliveira is going to do that. I'm just saying I hope he doesn't do that. Because if he tries standing in a battle of strikes with Justin Gaethje, this will be a short night for the man. It's going to be extremely short. Period. I know I just repeated myself. I am. I cannot stress that enough. If he's standing, it won't be for long. He's got to take him to the ground or he's going to get knocked out. If he can get him to the ground, well, that's where things get extremely interesting. Gaethje does have a decent ground game defense. Obviously against Habib, it's against Habib. It's Habib. He's the greatest ground games uh, artist of all time. Yeah, so that loss he got throughout the window, but Oliveira is no slouch. So, 
there is that dynamic. And like I say, if Gaethje can defend early and stifle him and keep Oliveira upright, Gaethje's going to walk out with his belt. Mm-hmm. If Oliveira gets him to the ground, it's, it's over. It's pretty much over depending on what time in the round it is. If he gets him out down early, and like I don't understand that might be a boring fight, but yeah, yeah, yeah. he's not worried about it being boring. He's worried about getting that win. Oliver could walk out of here easily with that belt. So the age-old question, Pat, I'm going to throw it to you first. Mm-hmm. Who you got? Oliver. I, I, I think if for as good as Gaethje is, I don't think he'll be able to keep uh, Oliver up the entire time. I think eventually it's going to come down to a war of attrition and Oliver wearing down uh, Gaethje on the ground. I agree. I think Oliveira is going to take him down early. I think he's going to catch him in a guillotine because I think Gaethje is going to try doing something to get back to his feet because I think he obviously knows he's got to keep it there. But it's the same situation like we talked about with Ngannou and Stipe. Mm-hmm. Stipe's only chance he had against Ngannou was running and doing a takedown. You got to weather some punches on the way in. Can Oliveira's chin hold up? Right. I mean, if he can, Gaethje's in trouble. But then again, we already said, Gaethje comes from the land of killers. And he is ready. I know they've been working on it with him. Right. This is going to be a fun fight. This is going to be an absolute classic. I do like Oliveira, though. I like this fourth-round submission. going to call that shot right now. Then things get dicey. Because if Oliveira retains, who's next? Yeah. And I know it depends if Michael Chandler, I understand he got knocked out, but I'm just going to put that out there. If he comes in there and puts on a dominant performance against Tony Ferguson, don't doubt him getting jumped back into that title mix. I could see it. Don't doubt, don't doubt that. I know that he might have to do a slight leapfrogging, but it's possible. Either way. There's some damn good fights this weekend. Yeah, there is. Super excited about that. UFC 274 taking place live on pay-per-view Saturday night, May 7th. Find it on wherever you find your pay-per-views. But ODPH Society, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your takes on this fight? Who you like? Who you got? Let's talk about this, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ooh, I've been dying to try this place. Oh my god, me too. I've heard such good things about it. Welcome to the Crime Diner. I'm Cindy. I'll be cooking for you this evening. Here are your menus. Ooh, what are you thinking about getting? I don't know, murder with a side of cannibalism? What about you? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm torn between historical mayhem and the social injustice, maybe? Oh. I just want to let you know that each episode comes with dinner, dessert, and a specialty drink chosen by yours truly. Wine Dine and Storytime has had a makeover, and we invite you to slide into the booth with us at the Crime Diner, where each week we will discuss a crime over dinner, drinks, and dessert. See you there! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Time to talk a little pro wrestling. Such good shit. Yes, so in the raw recap of the WWE, well, this past Monday night, not a real lot happened. No. Not too much noteworthy. Uh, We have a lot of stuff that was getting built in because they were kind of tiptoeing around what the real main event is going to be this week. I will say about the only thing of note was R-Truth is a goddamn 
amazing person uh, with the work he's been doing lately. Uh, come to find out now, he is a uh, divorce lawyer or like a divorce counselor. Like is it something involved with divorces because uh, what is it? Reggie and Dana Brooke want, or Dana Brooke now wants to divorce Reggie. And so our truth is like, I can offer my services. And he had a professional business card for his divorce lawyer business. Our truth is a, is a, is a gem. He's so good. He's, he's amazing. I love watching him when I watch raw. I don't watch too often though. Cause it hasn't been that great lately, and plus we also do 607 TWS live on Twitch every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But why I said the Raw was kind of tiptoeing around and they didn't really have a, a great Raw to go this week, Yeah, they're saving up because this coming Mother's Day, WWE fans have a great gift to give their mom, and that is WrestleMania Backlash. Ugh. Yeah. You know, this card yeah. is pretty much, if you're not familiar with the WWE, it's basically a replay of WrestleMania. Kind of. So they do have rematches of a lot of the cards yeah. or a lot of the matches they have on that card. Yep. So it doesn't really have a lot of sizzle to it. No. Uh, this year, as it stands right now, going into Friday, because obviously there could be cards subject to change going on at SmackDown, uh-huh. it's not a great card. No. And it usually isn't for Backlash, but this year seems really bad yeah no it does i mean there's occasionally a gem didn't we get um one year didn't we get like shield versus either evolution or the wyatt family at a backlash at least we got we got evolution yeah one year so like there's occasionally a gem you know and and maybe one of these matches will be good but on paper it's looking like yeah yeah this is definitely going to be going down on the peacock network on sunday night from the dunkin donuts arena yeah so pad has got the card down we're going to break it down for you let you know what matches you need to watch and which ones you can skip so pad Ring that bell. Uh, so the first match we're going to talk about is between Bobby Lashley uh, taking on Omos in a singles matchup, and uh, MVP is going to be in Omos's corner. So this one is a rematch from WrestleMania. Uh-huh. And Bobby Lashley has now parted ways from MVP. MVP has now teamed up with the Giant Almas, who they have a very big future for in the WWE. He does have that potential. He yeah. could be the next big thing. Could be. If they use him right and if he picks up the trade that quickly. So this match obviously is a rematch, and I think it's going to go a lot different because I think MVP with almost it, it's almost a no brainer he has to win. Oh, absolutely! I think it's going to be real good, and uh, for almost to have MVP in his corner, I think it's going to do dividends for him, and I think almost is going to pick up the victory. Yeah, absolutely! I think this is a no brainer about that. Uh, next up in a singles matchup is Happy Corbin taking on Mad Cat Moss. Okay, I know this is your match of the night. This is my match of something. Uh, <laughs> I'll be honest; I'm not a huge Mad Cat Moss guy. Nope. I understand the gimmick is now starting to get people winning people over. I know people are getting behind it. I am not one of them, but I understand why people like it because it plays to the family-friendly audience of the WWE. And listen, no shame in that. It is what it is. He's getting on TV. He's getting some screen time. We might see if there's actually something with him. So, Riddick Moss, do your thing. I'm not mad at you about that. Yeah, I mean, this is just from the fallout of WrestleMania where Corbin had a matchup. Madcap distracted him and it resulted in the loss for Corbin. I don't care for this, you know, nothing against the two guys. They're fine wrestlers, you know, they're doing good work. It's just not for me. I, you know, I personally don't care if if I end up watching because I haven't decided yet or not. If I got to make a bathroom run, it's probably going to be during this match. It is going to be during this one. I mean, no no offense to him. I mean, the one thing you got to remember with Happy Corbin, you plug him in with anybody and he, he always gets them over. Like, that's his pretty much role on the card nowadays. And that's fine. It works. So if they really want to try making something with Madcap Go here, sure. 
I just don't know where we're going from here after you break them up, but, you know. We'll, I have no idea. We'll have to wait to see dot, dot, dot. Uh, next up is a singles matchup between AJ Styles taking on Edge, uh, and it should be noted that uh, because of the results of last night, uh, Damian Priest is bar- banned from ringside. So I actually thought about this after getting home and watching the replay. Mm-hmm. So this match is obviously going to be interesting. Damian Priest is banned, so Edge's new Judgment Day faction is mm-hmm. not going to be at ringside per se. Per se. AJ and Edge are going to put on another classic. I mean, you have, yeah. you have two professionals, two Hall of Famers going to do their thing, so no, no real shock here. But what I think is going to happen, and I think would catch a lot of people off guard, is I know we've been speculating about who the next member of Edge's faction is going to be. Sure. What if it's Finn Balor? Ooh, that'd be a twist. Nobody would see coming, because obviously this past week on Monday night, the highlight for me was seeing AJ and Finn throw up the Bullet Club sign, uh-huh. giving the two sweet that, okay, maybe we're going to do something here. Maybe they would start tagging up. But if you give me a heel Finn Balor with Edge and Damian Priest and possibly Rhea Ripley, that's a solid faction right there. That would be good. And especially... I, I, do something with Finn. I know everybody keeps screaming on the internet about, well, Finn's not getting used right. Finn's this, Finn's that. Put him there. That's a great fit. Heel Finn is best Finn. Yeah, so I'm all here for that. If they want to try doing something there, I mean, the whole supernatural thing, I understand WWE has a love affair with it because, you know, it, it it's what they do. It's worked for him in the past. It's got to work now, yeah, right? Yeah, we're going back to the well about this one. But overall, yeah. like I say, I think this is going to be an interesting match. And I think with Priest not there, I think this is where Finn comes in and, and does the turn. So. Well, I, th- I think Priest will show up, which will cause a de- disqualification. And then Finn will come out for the save, but then a la what happened at NXT when he went in to save, what was it? Tiny Gargano. When he went in to save Gargano and he did the Pele kick. I think it'll be something similar to that. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. So that's my prediction for that one. Uh, Next up is a singles matchup and again another rematch from WrestleMania where Cody Rhodes is taking on Seth freaking Rollins. Well, this one is going to go exactly the same way that WrestleMania went. AEW's... uh, Franchise player. Mm-hmm. Trying to find a nice way to put it. Former EVP. Yep, the former EVP, the Rhodes Lander. Cody Rhodes returned home to the WWE. The shock mm-hmm. of absolutely nobody on the internet, but the shock of Seth Rollins at WrestleMania, and they had an absolute money match there. Classic, I would say. Yes. So now they're going to run it back between both gentlemen, and you know what? I have no problem with it. Uh, Seth Rollins being Seth freaking Rollins, uh, a.k.a. Joker Rollins is playing into this very well. Mm-hmm. I think Cody is on the way to get his uh, Money in the Bank coronation. So this one is going to be a, just a bump in the road, so to speak. I like Cody in this one. I like him big in this one. So Cody Rhodes for the win. Uh, I think it's going to end up being uh, Seth for the win in this one. Oh, okay. But th- because uh, the next pay-per-view up is Hell in a Cell, I think that'll be the final matchup in the feud between these two. Oh, that'd be something. I okay, I could see that. Because then after that is uh, Money in the Bank. Oh, Money in the Bank's not in June. It's in... No, Money, yeah, no, Hell in a Cell's in June. Money in the Bank is in July. Oh, okay. So, right. so that's why I think if, if Money in the Bank were the next pay-per-view, I'd agree 100% Cody's going to win, and this is the end of the feud. There's one more pay-per-view. Okay, if that's the case, then yeah, all right, I can fully see that happening. See, I'm so used to Money in the Bank being early. Oh, I am too, and Hell in a Cell usually being like October or late in the year. Yeah, Yeah. so that that's throwing me off. So if they did yeah. the, do the flop... All right, that makes a lot more sense then. Uh, And then next up is uh, for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship, and it is an I Quit match. You have Charlotte Flair defending her belt against Ronda Rousey. Charlotte Flair, the quintessential face of the WWE's women's division. Uh She is obviously got the big one at WrestleMania. 
And this is going to be the rematch against Ronda Rousey, former MMA champion, superstar, who has came back to the WWE after taking time off, uh, becoming a mother. And this match, well, is going to be all Ronda all day. Uh huh. Like, this is where she is going to get that win back against Charlotte. She's going to be... Yeah. There's no way that Ronda's losing this one back-to-back. I'm sorry. She lost to Mania, which was the biggest shock of all. Yeah. So I'm okay with her getting the belt here now and doing something here. Yeah, it, it's a smaller pay-per-view. It's, it's backlash. It's not one of the bigger ones or even some, one of the, I guess you could say, second-tier ones. It's one of the smaller pay-per-views, so it's not going to hurt Charlotte in the long run to lose this matchup. And like, and I agree with you. You know, Ronda's not going to lose back-to-back pay-per-views, so I think Ronda's going to pick up the win here. Yeah, I mean, it makes the most sense, especially it doesn't hurt Charlotte. I mean, like I said, Charlotte's you know one of the franchise players in the women's division up there with Becky Lynch oh, yeah. and, and, and Sasha Banks. So this doesn't hurt Charlotte at all. No. Uh, and then in the main event of the evening, this was supposed to be a matchup between RK Bro, Randy, yeah. Randy Orton and um, Riddle, taking on the Usos and Jimmy and Jay Uso, uh, who both teams are Raw and SmackDown uh, tag team champs, respectively. And it was for, supposed to be for a unification of the uh, WWE tag team chance championships. Roman told the Usos to go get the belts, and there's been this whole program. Friday last week, they even had the contract signing, you know, with the Usos and Riddle. But then, because of whatever reason. Reasons. Reasons, literally. I've yet to read a rumor or innuendo or speculation as to why they're doing this. By the end of the night, it was changed from a tag, simple tag team matchup to a six-man tag team matchup with Drew McIntyre partnering with RK-Bro. And then Roman Reigns partnering with his cousins Jimmy and Jey Uso. Hmm. Now... Whether the belts are on the line, I don't know. As of recording, it is simply listed as a six-man tag team match. I know the possibility of a winner-take-all scenario has been floated out there. I've yet to hear anything. I've yet to read anything. So until that point, it's just a rumor. But why they're doing this, I don't know. Well, I think one of two things. I think that, one, somebody reminded him it was WWE Backlash, and <laughs> nobody's going to tune in. True. Because let's face it, it's not a sizzle pay-per-view. No, it's really not. Nobody is super amped up to go, dude, backlash. We're at a watch party together. Yeah, like, I'm sorry. like Nobody's doing that for this one. This is going to be a fun show if you're a WWE fan. Sure. If you're a regular pro wrestling fan, this is going to be like an okay show, like if it's if it's on. Uh, but we have to keep that in mind because with this pay-per-view, I think that with stadium shows coming up with Money in the Bank. Yep. We do know that they are going over to the uh, Battle for the Castle. Uh, yeah, the oh. one in uh, over in England. Yep. And we do know SummerSlam is coming up. I think or that they're Clash being... Clash of the Castle. Yeah, Clash of the Castle. They're going to be taking their time about doing big title main events. And I think for this one to be an ending, this is very lackluster. Like, this is be an ending for a house show. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with that, that's a non-televised TV event. This is now a pay-per-view show. This is where you have to have a belt being defended, I would say, if it's going to mm-hmm. be a main event, if you're going to try selling it as a special event. It's no longer right. pay-per-views. Right, but at the same token, I don't think the belts will be on the line just because, okay, belts are on the line, you know, winner-take-all match. You could potentially have Roman lose the belt because Drew McIntyre hits pick an Uso. It doesn't oh, yeah, I know. It, it doesn't matter. McIntyre hits one of the Usos with a Claymore, one, two, three, Roman loses the belt. Like, that's a shitty way to end this title reign for him. It is, but it also works for storyline, though, because if they wa- if they wanted to test the reaction, they could do that way. Yeah. But I think what it's going to be, I think it's going to be title for title. I think they'll make that change on Friday because I I think that they understand that 
it's it you know we don't say pay-per-views anymore but we right. but i think they understand that this is still an event for the wwe universe that they'll be tuning in to watch we got to do something here so i could see the belts being on the line and i think this is how drew uh what you call it roman beats drew i i think or, so. or somebody on the team like he beats riddle and then he gets the tag team belts and they unify him i i, I don't think roman's gonna lose here i think if there's any opportunity or any chance for roman to, to lose I don't think it it'll be until at least maybe Clash at the Castle, which it's their first pay per view in the UK in I don't know how many years, but also it's taking place in in Cardiff, Wales. You've got Drew McIntyre who's from Scotland. Listen, I know it's a separate country, but hey, it's all the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. The pop for him at that stadium show is going to be fucking enormous. Oh yeah, no, there's no I, question. I, that. I think if there's any chance for him to beat Roman and and get the pop in the in the you know, reaction that they want, it won't be until Clash at the Castle. And you know what? That's perfectly fine because if they want to do it there, they can do it. If they want to keep the belt on Roman for like the next two years, it's fine. Like they're, what, they're coming up on that. I think he just hit 600 days. Yeah. It's, it's something crazy like that. But the one thing you got to remember though, is he's still generating a ton of money with merch. Uh huh. He's still the real demo God as he's dominating every single demo for, wrestling now in cable for the most well, part yeah I, th- I know smackdown's taking a dip in the ratings in the last couple weeks but hey the nba playoffs have been on exactly but still AEW crossed 1.3 consistently then come talk to me about ratings i don't want to hear until then but this is a situation where if they wanted to kind of do that switch that's fine you can do it there drew gets that big crowd pop that he never got when he won the belt because it was during the COVID era yeah so if they want to do it there sure and then if the battle for the castle that comes back before SummerSlam, right? No, uh, no, it's after SummerSlam. So it's after SummerSlam. Yeah. So then, if they want to do something later on where Roman comes and gets the belt from him, like on this next SmackDown, yeah, that's fine. I mean, you could definitely do something there. Like it's not out of the realm of thought to do. Either way, WWE has some options to do to give a yeah. little more sizzle to this main event. Uh, final thoughts on Backlash Pad. Might tune in, might not. Still deciding. You know, there's a couple of matches. You know, Edge and Edge and uh, AJ should be good. I'm interested to see what happens with that. The main event with Roman and, and the Usos and Edge and or uh, and then uh, McIntyre and RK, RK Bro. That should be good. You know, those are those are all good guys. That should be good. The rest of it, eh, eh. No, I'm with you on this. This doesn't have any sizzle to it. There's not anything that I'm really dying to see because I've already seen it at WrestleMania. Yeah. Like, Seth and Cody is going to be a great match. That one, yeah, that one too. Edge and AJ, that'll be a great match. Everything else, meh. Like, I'm sorry. Ronda beating Charlotte, I don't care about. If I tune in, I tune in for the Cody Pyro because goddamn. Yeah, no, the Rhodeslander is going to come back. I mean, the Rhodeslander is coming. If, you, if you're if not sure what I mean, take a look at Cody Rose's outfit and his pyro when he comes to the ring. Fear it. Dread it. Run from it. Yep, and then go watch the boys on Amazon Prime Video. The Rhodes Lander is inevitable. He is, and that's why I say like there. All signs point to him just being on this win streak till Money in the Bank. Oh yeah, and when he wins it, because trust me, uh-huh. spoiler alert, he's <laughs> going to win this. There's no way he's not. To quote Paul Heyman, that's not a prediction; it's a spoiler. Yes, there's no way he's not going to win that one. No, so God no. So that being said, this is going to be something that if you're looking for some wrestling on Mother's Day. You got a card to watch. Yeah. I mean, we'll catch the highlights of it if we're not watching live. I don't plan on live tweeting during this, so I know I was already getting hit up by a couple of people asking. Right. No, I'm I'm planning not to do it even if I'm watching it. I'm just gonna say right now, I'm not I'm not that super amped up to sit through it. Yeah. So I'll probably like tune in, tune out. 
But if you're excited for it, be excited for it. Don't let us dismay you from watching this show. That's the one thing. If you're a fan of the WWE Universe, and that's why we've been kind of covering WWE a lot more lately here on the ODPH. We've been having people ask us to. We don't mind doing it. You know, like I say, we're still fans at the end of the day. It's not like we're on boycott of one for whatever reason. We watch all wrestling. I watch AEW. I watch GCW. I watch New Japan. I watch a ton of stuff. Pad is kind of dipping his toe a little bit in the GCW, little by little. Yeah. But we're converting him slowly but surely. And speaking of uh, pro wrestling, as we record, good luck tonight to former Excite Wrestling uh, champion Joe Gacy, who is uh, participating in the NXT break uh, spring break. Oh, spring break-ins tonight. S- spring break-ins tonight. He is challenging Braun Breaker for the NXT championship. So good luck to Joe. Yes, with all the uh, NXT releases, it kind of got overshadowed. Yeah, a little bit. A, a little bit. Any yeah. thoughts on the releases? I know we didn't dive into it. Um, Not super surprised. I mean, a little surprised by Dakota Kai, but then again, they've never, like I told you off air, they've never really done much with her outside of tag team tag team matchups. You know, the, the Harlan Parker Bordeaux thing wasn't at first a little surprising, but then the stories and the rumors came out that it was because he wasn't progressing like they had. None of them super surprising. I know Rod, Roderick Strong, you know, asked for his release. But again, listen, his wife and then some of his best friends are all in AEW. So that is not a surprise in the way, any way, shape or form. You know, so the release is not anything super shocking. No, definitely not anything shocking as well. I, I'm i just treating it like NXT was going to be the first place they were going to clean house with. This happens every year with WWE. Yeah. It's a business at the end of the day. You might not love the practice about it, but this is something that most wrestling organizations go through. If you're on the level of WWE, AEW has not renewed some contracts too. I mean, it all depends on how you want to define it as. And whatever makes you feel better at night sleeping about it, sure, go ahead and do it. I'm not super shocked by this, but I would also say this, and I know we stress this on 607TWS, and we'll say it here too. If you're that good, prove it on the indies. Because there is a blueprint that has been established by one Cody Rhodes and then Drew McIntyre. And then there's more and more that keep on going on and on. You make that indie run, you build your name back up, you become the hottest free agent in the business, and then once you get signed, you come in and you just tear house when you return. It's happened time in and time again. So I stress that for anybody that was sitting there worried about, you know, oh, well, you know, WWE dropped the ball here. Well, they probably did. I'm not saying they didn't. But what I'm going to say is this. If your favorite wrestler is good, is that good, they'll tear it up on the indies. Go support them. Don't jump ship because they're not on Wednesday night or Monday night or Friday night. Or, right. You know, support your favorite wrestlers. Like, that's being a fan. Don't be toxic. Yeah, don't but, be an asshole. Yeah, because you know what? This does happen, unfortunately, a lot. We're just saying be a fan and go support them in whatever you get a chance to see them live. Go buy some merch. Go support them on social medias. If you got a favorite match of theirs, tweet it out. Exactly. You never know who you're going to connect with, and then you support them, and then when they come back, you can be like, hey, that's my that's that's my favorite wrestler, and they're back. So stick to your guns about that. So that said, we gave you a lot of WWE to talk about. If you want to hear about some more pro wrestling, obviously 607TWS on Twitch and in podcast form. Just search out 607TWS. And possibly a blogs count anywhere this week. Not happy. Didn't get a uh, information packet that I needed and time to do it at the normal time. So part for the course. Yeah, concerning who. I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> not happy with him about that, but I will digress. I'm not gonna get into it because if I don't get one out this week, I'll definitely get one out next week and we make it a little extra jam packed just for you folks. We like to serve you the ODPH Society. So hit us up on the hashtag hashtag ODPH Pod. Let's talk some pro wrestling. WrestleMania backlash. Are you excited? Or are you not? And why? Let's discuss, shall we? We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna... Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Gotta talk a little local minute because the Binghamton Rumble Pony season is in full swing. Uh, not doing so good lately. Uh, looking at the standings, they're currently in last place in the Eastern League Northeast Division. Uh, 6-14 and 14 record, and in their last 10 games, they've won two and lost eight. Yikes. Yay. Uh, looking at their schedule from this past week, uh, they were supposed to have a game on Tuesday the 26th. That was postponed due to inclement weather. They made it up the following day uh, in a doubleheader. They lost both games to uh, Erie. Uh, lost their game on Thursday, came back and won on Friday by the final score of two to nothing, and then lost their game on Saturday, uh, and then they won their uh, final game in the series against Erie on Sunday, uh, final score of six to three. Looking at their series they have this coming week, uh, they're playing the Hartford Yard Goats. Uh, they this is all away. Uh, their next home series isn't until. Uh, what is it? Uh, May seventeenth, excuse me, uh, where they are taking on Akron, so they got a bit of a uh, bit of a road stretch ahead of them. Uh, for more tickets, information, and all that good stuff, uh, BinghamRP.com. Right on. Uh, sticking with the baseball theme, we are officially one month into the baseball season. I figured, kind of look at things and see how they're going. Uh, New York Yankees, ten wins in a row. Hey, looking real goddamn good. Real goddamn good. Ten game win streak. Currently sitting in first place in the American League East, 17-6. and six. Uh, Got a big, big win against the Toronto Blue Jays last night in Toronto. And I got to say, for all the hullabaloo at the start of the season with vaccinations and all that, well, that was uh, a whole bunch of nothing. Yeah. Every, everyone made it into Canada. Uh, everyone can play. Uh, so you got the Blue Jays in second place, 15-9. and nine. Tampa, third place, 13-10. and 10. Boston, 9-14. and 14. And eh, Baltimore, they're there. Uh, Central American League Central, you've got the Minnesota Twins in first place. American League West, you've got the L Los Angeles Angels in first place. Bit of a bit of concern, uh, Shohei Otani, groin strain. We'll see how that goes. I know he did pinch hit last night, so yes. still got that, but yeah, bit of a bit of a cause for concern. Uh, gotta say, do love Houston Astros, uh, 12 and 11. It's third place. Aww. I will say though, their City Connect jerseys. Look those up. The Houston Astros City Connect jerseys. They're like NASA themed. Mm-hmm. Those are actually fucking cool. Yeah. I will say, I hate the Houston Astros. Nothing about them. Your City Connect jerseys or your alternative jerseys. Those are cool. Uh, what do you think about those? You know what? I don't even care about Houston. I'm all here for the Yankees. All right. Uh, <laughs> switching over to the National League, you've got the New York Mets uh, in first place over in the NL East uh, with a record of 16 and eight. Uh, this is the and I'll get well. You know I'll get to that little factoid in a minute. Uh, American League Central, you've got the Milwaukee Brewers in first place at fifteen and eight, and then out west you've got the L.A. Dodgers in first place at fourteen and seven. Uh, should note with the Yankees, Angels, Mets, and Dodgers, this is the first time in Major League history that two teams from one city are are. In first place in their respective divisions. That's so wild. The Dodgers and the Angels, Yankees and Mets have never all been in first place in their divisions at the same time. That's so crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. Uh, also should note, and you know that's all the good going on with baseball, the bad going on in baseball, Cincinnati Reds. Hey. hey. Yeah, I thought the Oakland Athletics would be bad this year, seeing as they were selling off like everybody in the janitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're not they're not great, but they're not bad. You know, they're ten and thirteen. But Cincinnati Reds, hey, 
Last place in the American League Central with a record of 3-19. and Yo. Uh, they are currently 11 and a half games back of first place. Uh, they have a, they've got one win at home, seven losses. They've only won two games on the road. They've lost 12. Uh, they're on a six game losing streak and they're one in nine in their last 10 games. There is talk of them approaching that, like Detroit Tigers, 2003, where they lost like 120 some odd games. Mm. The Reds are bad. They're bad. There's nothing to talk about. No, I still like their chances better than Houston. Maybe. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. My hatred for Houston, like, I just, I tune them out in every single facet because, you know what, I just can't respect them as a team, as an organization, as a crew. Oh, I don't either. You know, that's the whole thing. I'm just, I'm so glad the Yankees are doing well. And I just oh, wish, me too. you know, I think Judge has got a little chip on his shoulder. So if he goes out yeah. there and proves it, I'm here for that. Yeah. So, you know, if they can do that, doing real well. They got three series sweeps in a row. Yes. Maybe going to make it four. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I know. We'll, we're we're we'll, shooting that we'll shot. See. Mets fans, enjoy your April. Yeah. I know it's going to be May. Yeah. It is May. I mean, listen, they are one of two teams in the Major League Baseball left who have not lost a series all year. Gotta love it. That's nuts. You gotta love it. Although, although I gotta say, uh, to all the pitchers in Major League Baseball, stop hitting the fucking Mets. Yeah. Holy shit. They've been hit like 17, 18 times, and we're like a month in. It's insane. It's nuts. They got a little chip on, you know, like I say, they got a target on their back, and they're going to get a chip on their shoulders. So, Mets fans, yes, I'm actually trying to motivate you. Keep this momentum going, man. Yeah. Use that motiva- motivation, then maybe we'll get on the Yankee level. Maybe. Just going to throw it out there. So for my base, I know we've been getting asked about this. And I know that people have been like, the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs are coming. Are you guys going to cover it? And simply put, oh, yeah, there's only one team we cover, and that's the New York Rangers. Oh, shit, I thought we covered the Capitals. Oh, we are probably the most biased. See, that's the problem that we don't cover most hockey here. Because I get too biased. Yeah, it does. I cannot sit there, and, and I usually have that nice, calm composure. Like, I can say something nice about, you know, if the Boston Red Sox do something well, I can do that. If Miami Dolphins do something, in a, you know, once in a lifetime, and they do something noteworthy, I can go, okay, they can do it. I can't do it with hockey. I'm an ignorant Rangers fan on that much level. Like, I literally am looking at the brackets here going, okay, who are the Rangers going to get to, have to go through to get to the Cup? Right. Like, that's all they need. There are some headlines, though, going on with this because the NHL Stanley Cup's Playoffs do kick off tonight, yep. this week. So, obviously, we got Florida taking on Washington. So, I like Ovechkin in that. It's, it's tough to go against them. It should be easy for them. It should be, but, you know, it's it's hockey. I know they're the quote-unquote four seed, and Florida is Florida, but it's still – this is the time when yeah. the season vets step up, and this is playoff time, and this is when everybody kind of shines through. Same thing with Toronto taking on Tampa Bay. Like, I understand it's Toronto – and, you know, being the two seed, that's a big thing. And plus, everybody in the Eastern Conference here that is in the playoffs, this is not exactly going to be sweeps. I want to put that out there. No. Like, this is one of the freak years that everybody's been playing really well. Carolina and Boston is another one, too, that you don't want to rule anybody out. I do like Boston in that one. And then, obviously, no, I'm going to save our team for last because, you know, I don't even want to get into just the greatness that is going to be there. You biased fuck. Oh, absolutely. I'm just gonna, seriously, that's how much I really care about the rest of the league because, I mean, Colorado should win if they're healthy. Sure. They're taking on Nashville in the first round. That's going to be a fun series, though, but it all depends. Like, listen, if Colorado can stay healthy because that's been their curse the entire yeah. time in the playoffs, yeah. if they can do it, they're going to get there. I fully think they are going to get there. They're going to have some stiff competition, though. Like, Minnesota Wild is going to be taking on the St. Louis Blues. So, I do like the Blues in that one a little more. Gloria. Gloria. Yes. Greatest uh, post-goal scoring song, maybe? Uh, maybe. That's not the Rangers are number one, so. Well, yeah. I number mean, two. Yeah, we got to give it number two. You know, because... 
there's just something when I'm just screaming and losing my voice to it every single time when the Rangers are going to be doing that. But we'll get to that in just a second. Trust me. But then also in the Pacific Division, Calgary. Man, number one. Hey. Taking on the taking on the Dallas Stars in that Good first for round. Them. Like, listen, Calgary, I have a, say, I have a, a very small place in my heart for because I'm a big Jerome McGinnell fan. And when he used to play there, like that's where I, I really got on board. So I do have a soft spot for them. So I am rooting for them in the playoffs. I think they'll get past the first round. And then Edmonton against the LA Kings. You know, Edmonton is supposed to get there every single year. They keep getting loaded up in the drafts. It does it pan out sometimes, maybe, maybe not. So it's a little tough to say. So, but at the end of the day, though, Pad, it doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? Because it's not Blue Shirt Nation. Absolutely facts. This is a New York Rangers podcast here, folks. Blue Shirt Nation, stand the puck up. This is our year. Henrik retired. We are doing it for him. The team is finally healthy. Nobody's driving around and getting you know hurt on the out, on the outside of the ice. Panarin is ready to go crazy. Chris Kreider is having a phenomenal season. God damn it. Yes, I am swearing that loud because of this. And we are taking on the Penguins, and I do not fear the Penguins. Not one bit. Because this is our year. Damn it. And listen, Knicks fans, even if you're not a Rangers fan, you should be rooting for the Rangers because if the Rangers do well, that means Dolan doesn't look at the Knicks so much. Exactly. And then we'll rebound. This is a win-win for everybody. So that being said, I do love the Rangers against Pittsburgh. I'm sorry, Pittsburgh's glory years. Listen, they're a good team. I'm not going to take anything away from them. But they're not the Rangers level right now. Didn't I see something that their goalie's at least going to miss the first game, if not the series? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. There was some kind of late injury that came down the wire that we caught wind of. I've just been focused on our guys and just making sure that Shedderkin is playing well. Because, obviously, when he got hurt, everything kind of went a little crazy. And this is the year, though, that our guys are stepping up. Like I said, Chris Kreider's having a phenomenal year. And I understand with the coaching change and everything that happened last season, everybody went like, oh, my God, like what's going on? And me too, because I thought what they were building, this would ruin. The team is looking damn good right now. And everybody's everybody's locked in for contracts. Lafreniere, you know, Zibanejad's looking good. Man, the, the whole squad is good. That is why, see, that's why I can't do segments because you hear I'm loud, I'm popping the mic right now. I looked it up. Uh, the, the Penguins goalie, Tristan Jerry, uh, is indeed out and he is considered, according to ESPN, uh, considered day to day but won't be available for games one and two versus the Rangers on Tuesday and Thursday nights per the athletic. Okay. So the, so the, the uh, Penguins will be down a goalie. Well, no, that's too bad because I honestly, in this kind of situation, I like it when teams are full strength because I don't like it having that little asterisk hanging over. Well, you know, our goalie wasn't the starting one. Like, listen, you show up and you play. It's a team sport. But this is where the Rangers, like I say, they're looking damn good. If you've never been to a playoff hockey game wherever you live, there is nothing like it. I have been to Madison Square Garden to see the Rangers play a few times in the playoffs, and it is electric. One of the most insane places to ever watch hockey. I saw Ottawa play Buffalo, the NHL teams. I saw Ottawa play Buffalo here in the 607 when we were still the uh, the Binghamton Senators. Mm. You know, they did an exhibition game uh, during the preseason. And even that in the arena, which was jammed, was nuts. Yeah. Like there was, it was a, because of where we were located, it was a healthy mix of Ottawa and Buffalo fans. And I very rem- vividly remember a woman in front of me chanting, let's go Buffalo, let's go Buffalo, let's go Buffalo. To which an, a slightly drunken Ottawa fan two rows behind me yelled, screw Buffalo, go Ottawa. Hockey, it's nuts. Hockey's a different animal, completely. But that's why I love it. And that's why, like I say, I can't do that nice, calm demeanor and talk about it. 
Because this is one times that I will say a lot of ignorant stuff, and I go completely off the rails. And that's why I try not steering it too much in the in the podcast. But damn it, it's playoff hockey time. I'll get as ignorant as I need to get. So that being said, Rangers are taking this damn thing this year. Let's go. Hit me up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. We can have those discussions. I promise I'm going to put the disclaimer out in the tweets. If you ask me about hockey, I will go there. So this is the place we go to about it. So if you want to talk more hockey, let's do it. You know where we stand on it. So let's hear about your team. How are you, how are you guys looking going into these Stanley Cup finals? Ah! See, now I'm yelling into the mic. I don't mean to do this. I'm actually a distance away, too. Yeah, this is true. So that's how loud I'm yelling in the studio. Pad's like, yo, just wrap this up and watch the game because I know you're getting too wound. So that being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH, is that a Brian Wolf? I don't know if Brian Wolf's part of Ranger Nation. Maybe. I'm going to have to find this out. If he's not, we're taking his music off. (laughs) I'm going to kick him off the platform. But, Pat, I know he's a Green Bay Packers fan, so we can talk this football with him. If I want to find out more about Brian, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over music section. Check out everything going on, Brian. Everything going on, Second Suitor. Playing gigs. They got some big shows lined up uh, in the very, very near future. Floodlands doing Floodlands things. Shout out the robots lining up stuff, too. I know they're always posting on Fail Better Friday, so you definitely want to go check out what they're doing. Yard Party. Eventually, at some point this year, we will have them on the ODPH for the longest overdue interview in history. Come hell or high water. We're going to do this. I don't care if I have to go to their gig and just tape it on my phone. Yes, I'm putting that out there. I will go to a show and just literally throw my phone down. It'll be the most just DIY thing ever, but I don't care. I will do this. Yard Party will be on the ODPH this year. Lock it in. Also, uh, I mean, all the great bands you hear on the show. Tom Jolu, fantastic human being. Love that guy. He's freaking awesome. Go hit him up. Go get his albums. They're all great. He's just the best everybody that you hear on the odph and 607 podcast like if you hear their music on it we all endorse it we all listen to it we all support it so go get their stuff also while you're on the website check out parlay points new blogs are coming even if blog counts anywhere and i gotta do this on saturday night i'm gonna do this maybe i'll do it while i'm at the x i don't know we'll see what happens we'll do a live reaction just keep posting footage there because that's gonna be a lot good footage when you have the 607 podcast team commentating this is true just putting that out there shots fired um so that being said, also, uh, we'll have the blogs up. We're going to have the T Public store, obviously, is rocking and rolling there, too. Classified sections, which you can find friends of the show, such as 8122 Productions, just had their four-year anniversary show pad. Nice. Talking about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Good. Gave a review of it. It's a one-of-a-kind show that you need to experience yourself. So you find out about them and everything going on with the guys over there, Rich, Ron, Mike C, and hashtag Big Natty Cool, doing Big Natty Cool things. A lot of cool stuff going on there as well. Uh, also at the classified section, you can find out organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter. All the amazing pod groups we're in. So shout out to the Inner Circle. Shout out to the Apocalypse. Shout out to 607 Podcast. Live stream for The Cure. Going down May 19th through the 21st. You heard the promo. Get involved. Get active. Get loud about it. Let's have a future hashtag immune to cancer. Let's make this happen. A lot of amazing people are taking some time out to donate their services and energy to entertain you and obviously raise money for the Cancer Research Institute. The links are right there on odphpodcast.com. If you need any guidance getting there, hit me up and I will take you there myself. I will guide you through Twitter to do it. That is how committed I am to about this event. I'm watching hockey right now as we're recording, so I'm getting more amped up about this. So Pat is saying wrap this show up before you start throwing stuff. I agree. So all that that you need that is the ODPH can simply be found at odphpodcast.com. Exhale. That's all we got for this week. So from the one only Padawan J. May the fourth be with you. And also, fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. It's Blue Shirt Nation or Bust, baby. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Dural Parlay Hour. See you next time.
Let's go. 